The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23. Uh, Today we are starting a a brand new series. Uh, It's called Parables. And so we're going to spend a couple of months looking at the little stories Jesus told that illustrate really big truths. And uh, as we will read today, Jesus had a dual purpose in using parables as a teaching mechanism. Uh, The first was to reveal spiritual truths for those who had a desire to hear what he came to teach. But the other side of the coin was these parables were also meant to conceal those same truths from those who had rejected him because of their hardness of heart. If you look at the literal meaning of the word parable, it means to cast alongside. And so we would use the word maybe comparison uh, to get at that same idea. And I want to make sure as we move into this series, we remember and we think about the fact that careful consideration should be taken when studying and interpreting uh, the parables. Because it is a comparison and it's not a direct statement, it, it is possible for people to read their own meaning into the parable or to miss the point of the parable. And this is why, here's your $20 word for the day, this is why proper hermeneutics, and if you don't know what that word is, hermeneutics is the process of biblical interpretation. And, and, and this idea we're talking about with the parables, it's why hermeneutics is so important. In this passage that we are reading today, uh, thankfully, we have the great benefit of Jesus plainly interpreting the parable for us. And so some of that hard work is done. Uh, But this is not always the case, and you'll see that as we move through this series. Uh, This particular parable, the disciples pull Jesus aside and say, Lord, why are you talking in parables, and what does that mean? (laughs) And uh, so we get the explanation, which is great, Uh, but but we don't always get that. And so in, in the cases that we don't, we need to consider things like context, and we need to consider to whom the parable is being spoken to make sure that we aren't assigning a meaning to the teaching that Jesus never intended. That's real important. And I do realize that some of you could hear what I'm saying right now and think I'm being too restrictive. You may think something to the effect of, well, look, man, if a person is able to pull something positive and and meaningful to them personally out of the parable, how is that a bad thing? Why why does that matter? And uh, the answer to that is, the Word of God is not abstract art, okay? Um, what it means to me is, is basically useless if it is divorced from the original intent of the author or what is recorded as having been spoken, okay? And that's, that's an important principle to understand. And I know some of you may not like that, but the Bible is God's Word. And so we should endeavor to understand what truth he wants to reveal to us in the pages of Scripture. It's not our word and something that we can then subjectively sculpt into whatever shape we desire. 
It's very important to realize that there, there are, God did use human authors, but there is a divine author behind all of the scriptures who had a purpose and intent for what uh, he commanded to be wrote and what through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he caused to be written for us. And so we should endeavor to know what, what does God mean by that, not so much what does that mean to me. Uh, today we're going to read the parable sometimes called the sower. It's sometimes called the four soils. I personally don't see any reason it couldn't be called the sower and the four soils, other than it seems like maybe humans tend to like shorter titles for things, and so uh, it, maybe maybe that's too long for the average person. But the, the reality is we're we're going to see something about <clears throat> this sower, but also much about the soils, and so. I think all of that's contained within. So let's, I hope you turn to Matthew 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, in order to read along, we will have the scriptures on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, please give us the opportunity to, to bless you with one. We'd like to give you one for free. Uh, it's one of our favorite things to do. So we're in Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 23. Here we go. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away." Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and for your ears, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Praise God for his word. Amen. Let's come back to verse one, and we'll work through this together. Uh, We'll take verses one and two together. Let's just 
Look at that in detail I want to show you here. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Uh, I need to confess that somehow after reading this parable probably the hundredth time this week, uh, I've realized that this whole Sunday morning setup we have is wrong. The preacher should be sitting and the people should be standing. I don't know where we got this set up, so we're going to fix it. By next week, the pews are gone, and I'm getting a leather recliner parked right here. And then we'll see how the discussion around sermon length goes from that point on. Amen? You wanted to grab the beach detail. I, I thought that I might set myself up for that. Well, let me just say this so I can get myself out of the hot water I just created. Uh, <laughs> Remember earlier when I talked about reading your own meaning into the parable and, and, and getting the point wrong? I just wanted to give you guys an example of that, okay? That's, that's a good example of, of focusing on the wrong thing or, or getting the wrong point. Although I do think a uh, preacher sit, congregation stand week may just be illuminating for all of us. We'll see. Uh, okay, so let's look at verses 3 through 8 together. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell Beside the road, the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. When the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So really what we have here, and we're not going to dive too deep into it here because we get the application at the back end where Jesus unpacks it for us, but I just want to make sure we all kind of have the picture. We've got four types of soil, okay? We've got the soil by the road, which is packed hard from the feet of travelers. We have the shallow soil on the rocks. We have the thorny soil, and we have good soil. Okay, so there's four soils, four different conditions of the heart of men and women as the seed of the Word of God reaches them, okay? And Jesus tells us that it is, it is the word of the kingdom that, that is the seed in this parable. He explains that for us, which is really help, helpful. So uh, let, let's, let's now take a moment to consider verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. I remember as a young man reading this and being kind of just practical and, and not understanding some of the deeper meanings, thinking... Uh, was there people there that didn't have ears? <laughs> but uh, the, the meaning runs a bit deeper than that, uh, as Jesus also explains in, in uh, ensuing verses. But <clears throat> I think it's interesting for us to note that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the teaching of this parable. Okay, so right off the bat, that tells me this was a, a big moment in the ministry of Jesus. This is something that each of the... and, and there's some debate about whether anything John recorded is a parable or not, but he very much focused less on parables at all. So you don't see much in the way of parables in the book of John. If, if you did, uh, you'd probably see this one there too. This, this parable is it's a big deal. All the words of Jesus are a big deal, but when I see something repeated in each of the synoptic gospels, that keys me into, okay, everybody thought this was a big deal. Everybody thought this is something we should pay attention to and understand. And so uh, it, it's, I want to point out that Mark and Luke, they have record 
that they record Jesus following this parable about the sower and the four soils with an analogy. Okay, so Matthew did not follow it up directly, but both Mark and Luke follow up. If you go look at uh, Mark 4 and Luke 8, uh, you'll, you'll see this same parable. And then both of them have Jesus giving this analogy directly afterwards, to some degree probably continuing to explain the principles and, and what he means. Okay, so let me read you Mark 4, uh, starting in verse 21. And he was saying... So, Right, right when you get to the end of the parable in, in Mark 4, this is the next thing you read. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's familiar. But get this. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Take care what you listen to. And so some of what Jesus means by he who has ears, let him hear, is expounded upon when he says, take care what you listen to. Now, let's read Luke, uh, starting chapter 8, verse 16. Now, and some of this is a little redundant, but just hang with me. Now, no one lights a lamp and covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is concealed that will not become evident, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. So Mark keyed in on Jesus saying, take care what you listen to, or what it is you're listening to, what you're hearing. Mark saw that point and, and, and pointed that out. Luke pointed out that Jesus also made the point, take care how you listen. So what you listen to, how you listen, he who has ears, let him hear. For, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away from him. It's also helpful that uh, that idea is repeated in, in the context of these verses to help us see what it means in Matthew. So here's, here's why I took the time to, to give you all that. Because of what follows after verse 9, one could think that Jesus is saying that exclusively... God must open their ears to hear. Because as he continues to explain after he says that, he's saying, well, let's just look at it. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Then he goes on, you know, whoever has will have more, whoever does not have, it'll all be taken. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And so if you only read Matthew's account, you could, you could think what Jesus is saying is exclusively somebody having ears to hear only has to do with whether or not God opens their ears to hear. You say, it's, okay, so there's nothing I can do about it, nothing we can do about it. The, the, the responsibility is 100% on God for open ears, ears to hear, okay? But the, the fact that we see both in Mark and Luke, there's that little bit extra that we're given. Take care what you listen to. Take care how you listen. Take care. That's a, that's a command. That's you doing something. There's some responsibility here for you on whether your ears are open or not. Okay? That's, that's really important. Uh, there is a sense in which it's true that God must open ears, but he also says, he who has ears, let him hear. And we, we can see, taking the totality of all of that, some of that has to do with our own heart position, our own desire to hear, 
what it is the Lord is saying to us. I think the idea is made clear when Mark records Jesus saying, take care what you hear, and Luke, take care how you hear. That that extra instruction that we see there lets us know this is not simply and only a, a, a sovereign act of God that ears can hear. There's some care that must be taken by hearers, okay? That's, I, I think, real important. So let's look now at verses 10 through 17. And the disciples came up and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. He will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. That, that sounds harsh. We'll think about it together. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. So again, this is a place for us to stand in a bit of wonder and awe that God made sure Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Jesus, recorded uh, this prophetic forward-looking of, of what was going to happen. What was the condition of the hearts of the people going to be? And also, this Messiah, this teacher, this Savior, that he was going to come and teach them in parables. So fulfilled prophecy is something I think we should always just pay attention to and, and understand that it's, it's a sign of God's power and sovereignty and ability to uh, make sure his will is done down to the most finite details, which is a great comfort uh, to me. I hope it is to you. So what is that prophecy? You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes. They would hear with their ears, and they would understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Again, we see it's... <clears throat> They're hearing but not listening. They're, they're seeing but not, not really looking. Not, the, the heart with which they're coming to the thing is, is not correct. And that's, that's part of what the soils is about, which we're about to get the, the more detailed explanation of. We need to understand that, that there, we, we have a, there's a condition of the heart as we all sit here right now. Interestingly, having the seed of God's word cast out. So, the question is, are we in this moment, do, do we have ears to hear? Are we taking care what we hear? Are we taking care how we hear? I think oftentimes, Spurgeon was right about this. This may not be a direct quotation, but he said something to the effect of, it is common for the congregation to feel as if their job is to sit there and, and judge the efficacy of the preacher, but really, it's the word of God judging you. Because at the end of the day, if I was to stand up here and simply read Matthew 13 to you, you should be able to receive something. That seed of God's word, whether or not I have any funny anecdotes, whether or not my cadence of speech is your flavor or not, whether or not you think uh, I use the right kind of words in the right kind of sequence, whatever it is, whether you like me, don't like me, or anybody that stands up here and, and pres you know, presumes to cast out the seed of God's word, the primary responsibility about whether or not that leads to life change and growth for you and fruit in your life, that responsibility lies primarily on you. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, you know, so feel free to judge me all you want. That's fine. But also make sure you understand the word of God is, is also judging you. And you have responsibility about what the soil of your heart looks like right now. And as the word of God is reaching your ears, is, is there one of these problems, the first three soils present? 
stopping the seed of God's word from, because it's, it's, notice when we talk about efficacy and whether this whole process of seed being cast and all that leads to fruitfulness, there's nothing in the parable about different kinds of seed. The sower doesn't have four bags of seed and is like, oh, okay, well, I'll throw this one to you and this one to you and we'll throw some of this kind over here. There's one kind of seed. And it's what soil it falls on that dictates whether or not fruit comes from it. Okay? That, so I don't, I don't know how to say that. Any, any, if I, I'm just going to be repeating myself if I try to drive that point home any further. But you'll have to decide if you're going to receive that and do something with it. So if you have ears, go ahead and hear. <laughs> If not, may the Lord help you to. Amen. Uh, so <clears throat> the, the follow-up we saw in Mark and Luke, they also help us to understand what is going on in verses 10 through 17. All right? Uh, some of the issue of Jesus teaching in parables at this point in his ministry, some of it came down to timing. Okay? And, and again, why am I saying that? Well, it said, no one lights, lights a lamp and covers it over with a container. I'm just going to read Luke here. What Mark said was fair, very similar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is concealed that will not become evident, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Okay, so this, the idea of him speaking in parables and the, the concealing of this truth, to some degree, it had to do with the fact that uh, just before, so if you go back and read Matthew 12, just before Matthew 13, where we are, the religious leaders of the day were accusing Jesus of working by Satan's power, and they were asking him for some kind of sign to prove himself. And that's when Jesus hits them with, you're going to get a sign other than the sign of Jonah. All right? But what we need to understand is some of this concealing and revealing had to do with timing, because the plan of God, as we now know, we have the benefit of hindsight, was for Jesus to be crucified as the perfect and final sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so to some degree... It was, it was that these things were being concealed because if, <clears throat> if Jesus was to reveal the totality of his glory, if he was to give them the sign, say, that they thought they wanted, that they thought would cause them to believe in him, and I think with all that the scriptures teach, I, I don't know any sign Jesus could have done necessarily would, would have had that effect. But in any case, the point is, to some degree, the... the the meaning of the parable and the meaning of much of what Jesus said was a little hazy until he died on the cross and rose from the grave and ascended into glory. Many things he said, many things that were confusing that Jesus both did and said became very clear to those who had ears to hear. And so the, the work of the Spirit uh, and, and bringing people to a place of understanding their need for God and and that their hope is in Christ, that they need to repent and, and trust in Christ's sacrifice for their sins, some of that, it, it just, it was happening later. And that's what I'm saying we see in, in Luke and Mark. The things that are, things that are hidden, it, it's just for a while. That they're hidden to be revealed. And that's, that all kind of ties together. And again, because the, the light and the lamp and that whole idea being right after this parable in both Mark and Luke, I think helps us know we're not... We're not grasping to try to tie these things together. They, they were tied together in the mind of Jesus, okay? So I know that may have been a little bit hard to follow, but I'm hoping it all, those dots connect for us. It's important. So let's look at, uh, let's look at verse 12. 
because this is, this is a little bit hard to swallow, at least at face value. For, for whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Uh, this, is, <clears throat> this is one of those places where context is very important, because if you were to just grab verse 12 and, and lift it out, um, it's probably not common that that happens, because we tend to pull the positive ones that make us feel happy out of context and put it on the fridge. I don't know that... I don't, I've never been to someone's house, and Matthew 13, verse 12 was their fridge magnet. Um, I've never seen you know, a license plate border that was quoting Matthew 13, 12. Uh, so not many people have chosen this as their life verse. But uh, <clears throat> we need to understand, in, in the context of the conversation, what he's talking about. That if, if somebody has it, they're going to get more. If somebody doesn't have it, they're, they're actually going to end up with less. He's talking about godly wisdom and spiritual revelation. Okay, so he's not talking about just everything. There's a specific thing in view here. Uh, it's the seed. It's the, and what, what do we see that the seed is? Uh, we're told later that it's, it's the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom, all right? Uh, <clears throat> or, or also in verse 11, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's, that's what he's talking about. And, and when you understand that that's what's in view, what? godly wisdom and spiritual revelation, then, then it makes sense to understand uh, if you have some, it opens the door to you having more. If you have none, particularly if it's because you do not have ears to hear and are not willing to do anything about that, that you, you will, it will get worse and worse as you continue in that state. Okay, So that's really <clears throat> the kind of thrust of what's being said in, in verse 12. Um, Jesus is not coming to do reverse Robin Hood on everybody. Uh, that's that's not the not the point of the verse. Okay, all right. So that's I just you know we were taking ten ten through seventeen in a block because it belongs together. I just wanted to stop on verse twelve and make sure we get what's being said there. It's it's important. Okay, so let's look at verse nineteen. That's where we see these this phrase, uh, the the word of the kingdom, and this kind of begins Jesus' explanation of the parable, which I'm so, so thankful for. This one being longer and having more parts maybe than some of the other parables. Boy, if, Jesus, if, if we didn't have Jesus' explanation three times in all the synoptic gospels, I, I could definitely see us maybe getting confused. I'm just glad God's wise and knows. <laughs> we, we needed this one spelled out for us, okay? Because we could have got a little, little squirrely uh, uh, on this one for sure. So I, one really important thing I, that I think we should take a minute to just think about it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdoms, okay, so, all right, so that's telling us the seed is the word of the kingdom. Uh, this is the first part of his, his explanation. So that, that lays out for us the fact that this, this sower is sowing seed, and the seed is the word of the kingdom. What is that? And I, it's, it can be brought to a very, very fine point, but I think it's also maybe broader than we would sometimes think. <clears throat> the word of the kingdom, when you bring it to its finest point, okay, is really the gospel. It's, it is the declaration of the kingdom, the, the message Jesus came to preach, right? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the, the, the word of the kingdom is a word of repentance. It's a word of of humility before God, knowing that you need him and that you need the salvation that he alone can provide. 
And that salvation comes through the good news of the gospel. So the, 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 the word of the kingdom is, is the bad news about us and our sin and our need for God and the good news about Christ and the provision that God has made for our salvation through his finished work. This is, if you're going to just grind it all the way down to a point, that is the word of the kingdom. But I'd like to encourage us in, in this idea it can be viewed that way, but also, really, it's, it's the whole, the word of the kingdom is also all of the scriptures. And, and, and why do I say that? Well, because in, in this, if you've been around here any amount of time, this won't be a new idea to you, but the, <clears throat> though the gospel can be brought down to a very fine point, it can be brought down to the bad news about us and the good news about Jesus, it is also broader than, in order for us to get to the point where we can, we can actually see all of that, the light, the light that we need to see all of that is contained within Genesis through Revelation. Because when we look at the, the Old Testament, what, what we got from Genesis up until the beginning of Matthew is really a, a thorough explanation of why we need the gospel, much of the Old Testament is the bad news about us. It, it shows us that God did create us and that we did have a mandate to uh, obey him and trust him and to stay away from one thing and that we just couldn't do it. And that we desired to not only understand good and evil, but to a degree even determine that for ourselves. And we took the faith that God alone deserves and, and our first parents instead trusted the word of the enemy and, and we as their descendants, have all done the same thing in various ways. And so the, the, old, the whole Old Covenant, the whole Hebrew Scriptures, is, is really letting us know why we need the gospel. And then we have the gospels, and we have the book of Acts, and, and that's really, that is, that is the recording of the events of God being faithful to make the gospel possible. It's, it's the birth, life, teachings and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so we, we have the whole Old Testament letting us know we, we need help. We need a Savior. We have, we have that, the next section letting us know a Savior came and did all that God promised that he would. And then we have the rest. We have, we have Romans through Revelation. Really, if you want to summarize what is happening in Romans through Revelation, it, it's now giving us some details to understand how do we live in light of the gospel. And so my, my contention to you is the old covenant is pointing forward to our need for the gospel, and then we have the gospel, and then we have the, the rest of the Bible, the rest of the 66 books letting us know, here, okay, now what? Here's how we live in light of the fact that Jesus did come, did live, did teach these kinds of things, did die in our place, and did rise from the grave. And so it, if... if it's almost, it's really hard to even try to do this mental exercise, but try to erase from your mind any of the rest of what the scriptures say and just be presented then with, you're a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. Without any of the old covenant letting us know how God created, what the problem is, without, without the rest of what the gospel show us about Jesus, without the rest of what the New Testament then unpacks about what it means to be people that follow God and love Jesus, it, it would be stripped of nearly all of its meaning. And so you really need the whole Bible to have the word of the kingdom. Uh, one other thing I think we should <clears throat> just mention is that 
many folks in looking at this parable have, have debated which of these soils, right? So you have the, the hard-packed soil, you've got the rocky soil, you've got the thorny soil, and you've got the good soil that bears fruit, okay? A lot of debate has ended up happening uh, about which of these soils represent a person who is saved or not, okay? Um, so, so, you know, the hard-packed soil, the seed doesn't even take root, that seems pretty obvious. Where it gets a little squirrely is, okay, but then you have shallow soil. Root actually is taken, there is growth, and, but then the sun scorches it. So what, is, what does that mean? Or you've got the thorny soil, which it, it, something takes root, it does grow, but it's choked out. So what, what does that mean? Was that person saved? Is that person not saved? How, how do we understand that? And, and I, I just want you to know, I'm not standing alone in this idea, uh, that really, that really doesn't seem to be the main point of the parable. And that's our problem sometimes, is we tend to have hobby horses and, and kind of theological neat-nick things that we get very focused on, and, and we, we end up going and making everything about that. It really doesn't seem that Jesus is addressing that here. He's addressing the condition of people's hearts. And that we, he who has ears should hear. <laughs> and that we should realize that, that, it, that there, there is a, first of all, there, that our heart is like soil and the word of God, the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is like seed. And that this is how this process works in terms of fruit coming out of the life of the believer. Okay. That's really the point. And so, uh, I, <clears throat> I think it's that the whole, like who's saved in this sequence and not is not the main point of the parable and, and really oftentimes has caused people to miss the main point of the parable. And so we're, we're not going to try to pick that apart or, or debate about it. Um, I, I thoroughly understand, and I'm sure many of you do as well, how, how people could think either way on that. And I think uh, both have some good points. And, you know, these, these are the kind of things sometimes that cause unnecessary division in the body of Christ and, and makes us <clears throat> seem like we have never read John 17, <laughs> Jesus' high priestly prayer that we would figure out how to be unified around this truth. Uh, we are sinners and we do need a savior and we have one. His name is Jesus. And we got to let as many people as possible know there's hope in him. Okay? So that's, that's kind of all we're going to say about that. Uh, <clears throat> and I want to also say, so this word of the kingdom, part of why I took the time to say I don't I don't think we should only see the word of the kingdom as that fine point of the gospel message, but the kind of the broad point of all of God's word is because if you, if you do that, what you'd end up possibly coming away with is, okay, so the, this parable and the instruction Jesus gave us here really only applies to like the first hearing of the gospel right? It doesn't, it doesn't have any ongoing application for the believer to cultivate or care about what the soil of our heart looks like, because either, if you're not a believer, you're, you're either soil that's ready or not, and then, and then that's it. But it really, if all of God's word is the word of the kingdom, then for all of our lives, we need to understand, yes, we, we, may, have, we may have received, we may have been good soil with that, that message of the gospel. There may be many truths from the word of God about how it is we're supposed to live in light of all of his truth that, that we've been able to receive, but there may also be either seasons of life or certain parts of God's revealed truth that we are more like shallow, rocky soil or thorny soil or even 
God forbid, that hard packed soil next to the road. And, and so this, this extends beyond just the first time someone ever hears the word of the kingdom. If, if, all of the, if the word of the kingdom is all of the word of God, then, then week in and week out, uh, we're having an opportunity to assess ourselves and judge ourselves by this standard of what, what soil, am I a, when the seed of God's word hits this heart, what does it find? Is it shallow soil? Is it thorny soil? Is it hard-packed, prideful soil where, where, where truth is not going to bear fruit? And, and I, I really want to make sure we don't miss the ongoing and helpful application that this would, this would point us to <clears throat> joining with the Holy Spirit in, in tending and cultivating the soil of our hearts, uh, because I really think that's what we're being called to here. All right, let's look at verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> The one on whom seed was sown the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So maybe some of you are avid gardeners, so you may already understand this. Some of you, not so much. So it's like, why shallow soil on rocks? What, what is it? Well, the condition of, of some shallow soil on rocks, part of why that would help it kind of spring up quickly is that that soil would be easily warmed and would stay warm. And that's a good condition for many seeds. And so that's, that's why it would, it would spring up. Uh, you know, it would probably, and this is an arid, dry place. So when there's a little bit of rain, <clears throat> you know, that rock would kind of stop the water from filtering on. And so you'd, you'd have the conditions then for a good, quick sprout up of that seed. Uh, but what Jesus says is, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, and if you go back, remember when he was talking about this, this rocky soil, he says the sun comes up and scorches it. Okay, so I want you to just put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. The sun comes up and scorches it. That's what kills it. So the sun in this parable this is analogous to the affliction and the persecution that arises because of the word. The other distinction I want to make sure we look at is affliction or persecution because of the word. When you look at those affliction can kind of be any problems, troubles from, from an outside influence, okay? So life is hard. Matthew 7 says, storms are coming. Make sure your house is built upon the rock. So affliction can kind of be any challenge, and, and that can have a, an effect of, of kind of scorching the, the, the joy that, with which that seed, that word was received. And then he gets specific when he says persecution. That's more narrowed down to Typically, something that has to do with you're being, you're having thing, hard things come against you. You have people come against you because of your beliefs. And here he says it's because of the word. So, you, if this is the if this is the soil condition you're dealing with, you, you may receive the word initially with joy and much happiness. Some hard thing comes and it's able to shake you from from being having that joy or even maybe believing that that was true. Or you have even 
maybe more difficult, something that most of us have probably not experienced in a very real way, is persecution, where someone, specifically because you believe that word, specifically because you believe the word of the kingdom, they're going to come against you. And for some, that's also enough to to scorch and to wilt the, the joy and the potential fruitfulness of that word. That's the rocky soil, all right? Uh, <clears throat> let's look at verse 22. The one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So here we've got two things that are pointed out that can grow up. So this soil is deep enough. It's not a matter of soil depth. It's a matter of what else is allowed to be planted alongside the the good seed. What else is allowed to grow alongside the good seed? These are the thorns. Jesus identifies these thorns as a couple things. Worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And it it may seem like, wow, that's really specific. Like, couldn't there be other things that are thorns? But if we think about it, worry of the world really is pretty broad. Anything, anything that's causing us to operate out of fear instead of faith could be in the worry of the world bucket. And that covers a lot. Okay? And, and it kind of, what, what's really brilliant here is Jesus really is covering kind of the whole spectrum of, of what kind of things can grow up alongside and choke out the beauty and the truth and the joy that comes from the word of the kingdom. Because we have, on the one side, we've got the worry of the world. That's kind of like all the negative things that could happen, things that, that beat us down because it's hard and, and it's arduous. But then on the other side, you have the, the idea of um, wealth and the deceitfulness of riches. And that, that really kind of represents everything on the positive side, because I think you and I both understand that much of why people seek riches in this life is because almost, many, many of the problems that can happen over here, worries of the world, if you've got enough money, you can, you can try to throw it at those and, and make them go away. All right? Proverbs talks about the, the wealthy man imagining his wealth as an unscalable wall. And we know there's some exceptions to that rule. There's some things you can throw money at, and it's not going to make any difference. I, I tend to think of the fact that Steve Jobs, uh, co-founder of Apple, brother had some money. Um, you know, he, he probably had enough turtlenecks for everybody in here to wear. Um, but, but that brother died of cancer. So it, it, all that money couldn't stop that worry of the world. But, but, I, but the problem is sometimes we believe if we just have more wealth... I can stop the discomfort of existing in the imperfection of this broken world. And so those, those work hand in hand in that way. Uh, specifically when it comes to the idea of the deceitfulness of riches, uh, <clears throat> I want to make sure we understand something. It, it, is, it is okay. Here's a biblical understanding of, of how we think about money. It is okay to have money in your hands but money cannot have your heart. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? And there, that's a really, really important distinction that sometimes people get messed up. Uh, the fact that people don't quite understand that is, is used as a wedge by the enemy uh, to get in between people of different socioeconomic statuses. Uh, one, of the, one of the 
great dividing lines, uh, and when I say great, I mean large, not great like it's great. One of the dividing lines that causes fractures and, and divisions in our country right now is, is the false belief by many who have money that uh, those who don't, it's because they're lazy or stupid or some, something to that effect, or uh, those that, that don't have money, that the ones that do, it's because they've done something corrupt or they've stepped on the neck of everybody and that's the only way it's possible that they could be holding any money. Uh, these are lies for the very purpose of causing division and causing us to judge people harshly <laughs> and for reasons that are really pretty superficial. But uh, the <clears throat> those, those thorns, kind of all the bad things, the worries of the world that could happen in life, or kind of the good things and the pleasurable things that could happen in this life, it's important for us to understand either one of those have the potential to choke out the word of the kingdom, to choke out the good plant and the good fruit that is meant to come from the seed that God is sowing in our hearts. And so uh, why am I saying that's so important to realize? Because most people that, if, if you would characterize the majority of your experience in this life as being on the hard side of that, the worries of the world side, we, we could tend to think if I could just get more of the, the good, positive, easy stuff, that would solve my problem. And, and then, you know, on the other, over here, oftentimes it's, <clears throat> it's hard to, for people to even conceptualize that, that good wealth and, and comfort and all of those things could, could be a distraction. Many people think that's, that's the sign that God loves me. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I had a family member one time that will remain anonymous because this is on the internet, but that, that literally said, I pulled out my wallet for something and uh, <laughs> kind of looked over and said, uh, this was many, many years ago, so don't try to figure it out, but uh, looked over and said, oh, well, let's, let's see how much God loves this boy. And that stuck with me. It's like, man, what a pitiful way to think. That's disgusting. But it, I'm telling you, it's out there. And these are some of the weeds, thorns, that can choke out the beauty and the truth and the fruitfulness of the Word of God. Okay? All right. Verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the Word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. There's probably much more that could be said about this, but I think a good question to ask as we're trying to determine what, what is the soil condition of our own heart is what does the fruit look like? Because if part of what we're being encouraged to here is, is to judge ourselves lest we not be judged, something else Jesus said, um, then... <clears throat> How do we know? What, what does fruit look like? The, the fruit that comes from having good soil in the heart where the seed can take root, it can grow, it doesn't get scorched, it doesn't get choked out, and it actually bears fruit. Um, just a couple things. One would be, I think clearly, submission and obedience to God and His Word as a fruit of good soil where the seed was able to take root, and this thing's actually doing what it's supposed to do, that we will, have, we will be submitted and we will obey God and His Word. And I think part of what that always looks like is a life, a life of, of sacrifice in service to King Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, and, and what does that mean? Well, think about what, what do plants... This is part of why the, the kind of continual agricultural analogy throughout uh, the New Testament is so helpful. Because 
like, first of all, aren't seeds amazing? Like, have you ever just thought about seeds are so rad. You know what I mean? Like this, this thing right here, I could put that in the ground and sprinkle it with some water. And in time it's, it's, it's going to become this, it's going to become this thing that can make more of itself. And, and how did that become that? It's wild. I mean, again, some of the, just the creative genius of God. And then, and then that we have that example for how the word does what it does in us. And so, uh, Part of what, what sacrifice and service of, of King Jesus and his kingdom it talks about producing fruit. Well, fruit, really, we like to eat fruit, and, and that's part of it, right? Producing fruit means you're going to have something to be blessing to others. That's, so that's a, pre, that's a pretty good... How do, how do I know if this is... Re, how do I know if the soil's good in here? How do I know if the seed is doing what it's supposed to do? Are you, are you desirous of and are you living a life that is a blessing to others. Are you others-minded? But, but also, really, fruit, if we leave it alone, okay, and we don't, we don't munch it all down, what does it do? What does that fruit do? It does rot. I should have thought of that. That's not, but when it falls to the ground, fruit has what in it? A seed to do what? To replicate itself, right? So if we leave it alone, that's that seed is going to make more seeds and those seeds are going to make more seeds. And then, and then, and then I just start to hear the echo of the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Right? And so if I'm, if I'm trying to figure out, do I have fruit in my life? Am I, am I a blessing to others? It's going to be a primary way to know. And am I involved in the great and glorious mission of replicating disciples of casting? Now I'm, I've gone from being in the ground to now I get to be a sower. And, and this, this parable is also very helpful for us to think about the, the, the way we do evangelism and the way we think about evangelism. Here's, here's, what's, here's a beautiful truth that will help you to stay encouraged in what can sometimes be the very hard work of farming and, and sowing seeds. Because I'll tell you, I have been tempted to feel discouraged when I feel like, all the seed I'm throwing is hitting the soil by the path or the soil on the rocks or the soil that has thorns in it. Sometimes, man, it can, it can feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cast a lot of seed. I'm trying to participate in this great and glorious mission of, of sharing the gospel with people and it, just, it doesn't seem like it's sticking. Two things to remember. One, there was three types of soil where the thing didn't get to the point where it made fruit. Okay, so that helps. Just set our expectations but also, here's, because, of that, because of that replicating ability of the one that does stick, that, that, that should be able to, to keep us encouraged and, and understand that Jesus is, saying, Jesus is saying his words are hitting this kind of soil. And so we're, we're going to also have that experience. What it helps us do is to stay encouraged, not to grow weary in well-doing, and to understand my job is to cast seed. I can't go in and cultivate your soil and your soil and your soil. I can't make your soil right. But what I can do is be faithful in, in throwing seed whenever I have the opportunity. And just knowing, though it's heartbreaking, and I'm with you on that, I feel it too. It's heartbreaking when it hits hard soil or it hits rocky soil or it hits thorny soil. But also remember this, dear friends. Don't ever forget this. 
The one that hits the good soil, it takes a minute for you to know that it did. So when you first cast that seed, it might seem like it landed on that hard-packed soil. It might even look like it hit rocky soil or thorny soil, but, but here's the thing. We, 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 we got to give it some time. Because sometimes, even in, in the process God takes people through, it, it, there may be some thorns that try to grow up next to that thing, but that doesn't mean we, we can't cultivate that garden. That's part of the work of discipleship, helping people pull those thorns and weeds. And God himself is doing that work in his people. Anybody had any thorns or weeds pulled out of your garden anytime recently that you're aware of? I know I have. Amen. <clears throat> and if you're not aware that it's happening, you probably just didn't notice. You do have weeds and thorns. If you belong to God, he is doing that great work of cultivating the garden that is your heart, the soil that is your heart. Uh, he's faithful to do that. He promised He's going to stay faithful to conforming you into his image, which gives us this idea that this is going to be a process. It's going to continue. Okay? Uh, So the the warnings about how we hear, they, they point us to the reality that we can and should participate in the cultivating of our soil and of the soil of our hearts. Okay? So I just want to make sure that's part, we understand that's part of the point of the parable, is we have some responsibility here. Uh, he who has ears, let him hear. Take care what you hear. Take care how you hear. Okay? Uh, I think that has real implications for your own time and, and studying the word, what you listen to throughout the week. He didn't just say how you hear, he said what you hear. Okay? So, and I think it has major implications for how you show up for a Sunday morning gathering, the, the focal point of which is us getting in God's word together and having more of this, this, the, the seed of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom cast out into our hearts. And so, you know, that's, that's part of why uh, we don't have a strict dress code here. Uh, we are far more concerned that people are taking time to prepare their hearts before they come uh, than making sure uh, everything is pressed just so. And, you know, you may wish I ironed my shirts more. I don't know. Uh, I can try. But at the end of the day, I'm much more concerned that my heart is right before God and, I, and, and, and the soil of this heart is right to receive the seed that, that the Holy Spirit has promised to be casting every time we get together like this. I'm much more concerned about that than whether or not somebody is, uh, you know, outwardly adorned in such a way that, that anybody's impressed. <laughs> okay. So just <clears throat> something to think about. Uh, so how do, we, how do we do this? How do we participate in the cultivating of the soil of our hearts? I'm going to give you just a couple things. Judge ourselves often in regards to humility. This seems to be the primary issue with the hard-packed soil next to the path. Uh, almost, almost always when we're talking about hardness of heart in the scriptures, it's, it's coupled with, with pride. And so we, we need to judge ourselves often in regards to humility. Uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if, if nothing else, maybe, maybe you're new to all of this, and you're like, oh, I don't know how to know if I'm humble. Um, you know, one, if, if your answer to the question, are you humble, is yes, I'm really, really humble, then you're probably not that humble. Uh, so that's just an easy indicator. But, uh, you know, <laughs> another thing to do, I get it, like, that can be a tricky thing. Judging our own hearts is really 
difficult work, um, and, and we need God's help to do it. And so, if nothing else, I'm just submitting to you, like, make this a, a prayer that you offer before the Lord. Lord, help me to be humble. Show me where I'm not, because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't always figure it out. I can't always see um, what's going on in my own heart, okay? So, just th- th- that we're judging ourselves frequently, and we're opening ourselves up to the inspection and instruction of the Spirit, okay? Secondly, seek to grow deeper in our love for God and knowledge of his word so that we can stand firm in the day of trouble. Uh, that's, we need deep soil for this, these seeds to take root and to uh, produce fruit. And so part of how that soil is deepened is an ever-increasing love for God and, and a desire for more of, of knowledge of his word and his ways. And uh, those, those things will help that, that soil to be of the depth that it can take root and stand. Uh, and we should judge ourselves often and be honest about how we may be driven by either fear or greed. Okay? And that's, that's the warning of the thorny soil. Lord, Lord a good prayer is, Lord, to, to what degree am I operating and making moves in my life out of fear and I'm not even realizing it? Or, Lord, what areas of my life am I operating? Am I making moves based on greed and I don't even realize it? Those are, those are really good, humble prayers. And, and to be, have your eyes open enough to know I may not see everything. <laughs> that a quick glance down at the, at the soil of my heart may not reveal all that's there. Um, and <clears throat> knowing that the entirety of the Christian life, from the point we are, are made sons and daughters of God by grace through faith in Christ, to the point that God allows us access into that eternal country that we're all waiting for, the entirety of that time frame is a time of growth and change and continual, uh, continually being conformed into the image of Christ. Because nowhere in that spot are we going to be perfect. And if I've not reached perfection, there's still room to grow. And if I'm convinced that the more I become like Jesus, the more joy I'm going to have, the more effective I'm going to be for his kingdom, uh, it doesn't feel like such a burden to wade into these things and be mindful of them. It can actually be a joyous process. I I get to garden with Jesus. (laughs) I get to partner with the Holy Spirit. You know, we've got a garden in the backyard and, you know, get out there and dink with the kids and pull weeds together and stuff. It's it's something kind of fun we get to do together. I get to do that with my father on this garden. And we get to help each other garden. Because sometimes the Lord will show you I've got a weed and I can't see it. And then I got a big choice to make. Am I going to joyously and humbly receive that and say, yeah, yeah help, let's help me pull this thing out? Or am I going to get real defensive and uptight and act like, you know, you're trying to hurt me by helping me weed this thing and pull the thorns out? Amen. You missed a spot to say amen right there. That was a good one. So I'll set you up like T-ball and you guys just stood there. Okay. Uh <clears throat> I, I want to just point, last thing, and I promise I'm done. Never saw this until studying this this week. Something I'd never noticed. The, the last three all have something in common. Um, the, the first, the, the, the soil is packed so hard, the seed never even takes root. It doesn't even start to grow. Okay, But the last three, there is some degree of root being taken and then growth. Okay, so we're talking about the rocky soil where it, it takes root, shoots up quickly, sun scorches it, it dies. The thorny one, it takes root, grows, thorns choke it out. 
The last one takes root, grows, produces fruit, does what it's supposed to do, okay? <clears throat> Here's what's really interesting. Remember when I told you earlier to remember that when it talks about uh, the rocky soil, it talks about affliction, so just hard things in life or persecution more particularly, hard things as a result of following Jesus and really believing his word. What Jesus said, when, when, what he explained those things to, to, what he was explaining was when he said that the sun came up and scorched it. So Jesus said the sun in the analogy was the hard things, the affliction and the persecution. Here's my question to you. Didn't, doesn't the sun also rise on the last one? It just had to do with the what effect the sun had had everything to do with the soil. The sun was actually crucially important for the last one to grow and produce fruit, was it not? Anybody growing fruit-bearing plants in the dark? Not that I know of. It's so well, yes. Fungi. But the Lord's not calling us to be fungi. He's calling us to be fruit-bearing plants. <laughs> this ain't Super Mario Brothers. Um, so here's, here's the point I'm making. As much as those afflictions and persecutions caused the seed that took root in the shallow soil to be scorched and to die, those, those same hard things can be part of what helps the one that ends up growing and producing fruit to grow. I'm reminded of Romans 5. We do not only exult, that's not a word you commonly use, but we'll just use rejoice. We do not only rejoice in our salvation, but also in our tribulation. For tribulation gives way to perseverance. Perseverance develops character and character hope, and that hope will not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in us. We've got to get our minds right, saints. If the soil is right, that doesn't mean there won't be affliction or there won't be persecution. As a matter of fact, if we can, if we can keep our heads right about it, God uses that as a part of what actually causes us to grow and be fruit-bearing. Hallelujah. That's helpful for me. I hope it is for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you did teach in parables. Thank you that you fulfilled the prophecies that Isaiah spoke 700 years prior. Thank you that your parables are helpful because Sometimes the, the mysteries of the kingdom, they are, they are hard for us to grasp, but when you take it and you, and you help us see it through things like seeds and, and plants growing and, and the effect the sun has on them, it helps us be able, to, be able to come up to the place of understanding, and that understanding is so important. We, we need to desire to, and, and, and we need to want to even more than we do right now understand how these things work from your perspective. God, there's a lot of perspectives out here. There's a lot of ideas out here about how all this works. Lord, please help drive deep into our hearts a, a desire to know exactly what you think about these things. Help us, help us not be willing to settle for anything less than your divine revelation on the matter. And I ask you, Lord, to help us remember this parable as it pertains to ourselves. Help us to judge ourselves often. Help us, Lord, to remember that our hearts are like soil and they have a condition. And this, this soil, the soil of these hearts, it, it continually does need to be cultivated. And I thank you that you've not left us alone to do all that work ourselves, but that you are in it with us, that we are really helping you 
You're the master gardener. You're the one that knows exactly what needs to be done, but you have allowed us in to help, and not just on our own hearts, but you've called us to be able to help others. Help us to remember this parable when it comes to our participation in the building of your kingdom and, and the, the sowing of seed to those who thus far it hasn't taken root at all. God, help us to stay encouraged. Help us to realize that, that our job is to be faithful to sow seed, that fruitfulness, Lord, is ultimately something that you are sovereign over. We can't go change the hearts of people, but Lord, you can and you do. So Lord, please help us to desire greatly to do whatever is our part in this great mission, but to trust you with the parts that only you can do. May we stay encouraged and grateful in all these things for your glory, Master, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.